I have to tell you, I'm really excited about tonight's guest, uh, Dr. Michael Nagler from the Mineola School District in New York um, on Long Island. I first was introduced to Dr. Nagler through a video series. It's called Mineola Grows, and it was just fantastic. And then I reached out to him because I am writing a book on gifted education this idea that I believe that all kids should have access to a gifted experience. Uh, and so in my book, in the end, I have a chapter that's dedicated to finding inspiration in the success of others. And Mineola is a school district that I wrote it right about because they are a model district that any educator, any school, any district should follow in terms of how they help kids understand their brains and learning. I'm looking for a really great conversation tonight with the superintendent of Mineola School District, Dr. Nagler. We're gonna delve into his new book. We're gonna just uh, talk about his career and talk about the future of education. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Dr. Michael Nagler to a conversation with Brian. <music> Mike, welcome, welcome to the show. Ah, thanks for having me. Super hey, excited to be here. I, I really appreciate you taking some time tonight. Hey, at the beginning of each one of my shows, um, I want my my audience to get to, uh, to to know my guests. And so what I ask is for my guests to talk as much as you'd like uh, about your personal story, your professional journey, and how you got here. <clears throat> um, and so who is Dr. Mike Nagler? Oh, it's a complicated question. You know, I'm, uh, I'm one of seven kids born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, product of the New York City public schools. And I went to Binghamton State, Brooklyn College, and, and eventually got my doctorate from Columbia. But, um, you know, I, in my mind, I'm public education. I, I, I lived it. Uh, it did fantastic for me over, over my career in many different levels. And um, had you asked me 37 years ago when I started teaching in Brooklyn that I'd be sitting here chatting with you, I, I wouldn't believe it. Really? Yeah, I mean, my journey is, um, I've never considered myself like a super smart person or um, I avail myself to opportunities, but I, I, do, I do think differently than most of my colleagues in that, um, I really think kids should love to learn. And if you love to learn, you should love school. Sure. And I see, I see so many kids not enjoy school. And it, and it um, angers me that, um, you know, that's a love of learning is the greatest gift a school could give. Sure. And uh, that really drives me. That's what motivates me in this job. I've been, I've been a superintendent is my 15th year in Mineola. I started here as an assistant principal. I was a print, the high school principal and deputy. And um, uh, my whole philosophy is um, if it's good for kids, let's do it. Yeah. And uh, I, I think, you know, I could, we can go in so many different ways, but, you know, I'm, I'm kind of atypical about uh, overemphasis on test scores or overemphasis on standardized assessments. I yeah. think um, there's a place for all those things, but it can't be what drives us. Yeah. 
So let's go back um, just to your childhood. In your book, at the beginning of your book, and you mentioned you have seven, your, your, your parents had seven kids and seven bachelor's degrees, seven master's degrees, and like four doctorates. And so yep. you said education was really important, um, obviously, but talk a little bit about your journey, maybe your sibling's journey. As you said um, earlier, you know, you're not so big on, you know, standardized tests, although they have their place. Um, in my new book, I talk about we're much more than a score. Mm -hmm. um, so talk about your journey in terms of, were you a great student? Um, were, you, were, were you a student who struggled in some areas? Did you have a passion? Um, what was your journey like as a student? <laughs> so I, I was always good with my hands. I apprenticed as a plumber. I've, I've um, been in the trades on and off again my entire life. Yeah, uh, I, I'm the I'm the sibling that fixes everything, and and you know, will put the kitchen in for my for my brothers and sisters. Uh, but I also was was a pretty good student. I um when I was interested, I was exceptional in class. When I was disengaged, I went through the motions. So in in you know in college. I was pre-med, then I was a dance major, then I think I was, a, eventually I became a history major. I think I changed my major four times. And I was going to go to law school, you know, but I, but I really didn't do well on the LSAT. And my mother said, if you're going to live back in the house, you better, you better have a job. Yeah. So she, she was a principal at the time. So she got me a teaching gig. And, uh, you know, like the, the rest is history from there. You know, one of the things, I mean, I hear you, what you're saying in terms of, you know, working with your hands and kind of exploring different things. And you were saying that, you know, when you were engaged, you did well, but isn't that the case with all our kids? Can't we, shouldn't we be trying to help all of our kids find their, their strengths, their passion, their gifts, and, and what engages them? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm a big believer in, you know, edu public education. There are all these things we have to do. Yeah. And then for many of us, there's all these things we want to do, but we, we don't find the bridge between the two. And, you know, I think like teacher burnout, that whole concept is you're constantly doing things you're told to do, not what you want to do. Yeah. And it's the same for kids. I mean, you know, I have, um, I mentioned in the book, my son loves to learn and he hates school. Yeah. And, and I mean, he's a brilliant kid. Yeah. He's a senior now. He's, um, uh, but when he's interested in something, sure. he, he, um, is just, it, it's hard to describe how phenomenal he is and how his brain thinks. Um, uh, but my daughter who's older, who's in college now, um, was very compliant. You know, he's a little more defiant in, in his, I don't want to do this. She was very compliant and did everything they asked her to do. And she excelled. Um, uh, she's at Harvard now, so she did okay. But sure. it's, um, it, it's a, they're very different kids, uh, both high achieving, but they, um, and you had them in the video, by the way, the, the one yes. of the video, one of the videos clips you had, those are my two kids. Yes. They, they look so different now. It's funny. Um, and that's and that's what drives me. You know, I look at my own kids. I see they're disenfranchised in school, or what they connect with and what they don't. And then I take that and and I apply it to many older kids. Yeah. 
I, I think one of the things that I've always said or has driven me is I, I, I've always kind of said, you know, it's, or I, I asked the question, do we think it's our moral obligation to treat other people's children in the same way that we would treat our own children? Meaning, should we have the same expectations? And if, that, if the answer to that question is yes, then we should be able to or, or be willing to turn over any stone, any rock to be able to figure out how to help those children. Yeah, I use that. I use that all the time. I mean, and, and, and you see it, you know, I was a different teacher after I had kids. Um, I was certainly a different leader after I had kids because yeah. all the things that frustrated me, they're, obviously they're not in my district, they're in the neighboring district, sure. which, which on paper is a highly accredited, high achieving school, um, but they don't believe in personalization. Yeah, and so I, it's, it's a very interesting. Yeah. I, I think in, in reading um, and looking at a lot of the videos um, that you have done, um, looking at your interview. And you talked about this just briefly early on, you know, teachers comply, teachers get frustrated because they can't do what they, they, they like to do. But, but you've broken that mold. You, you have allowed teachers, I mean, through your video series, um, Mineola Grows, I mean, that's, it was so innovative and we'll get that to that in a few seconds. But you, you have modeled this idea that it's okay to take risks. It's okay to fail. It's okay to do something a little different than, you know, what we're expected to do. And it's paid off for you. Uh, well, I like to think so. Yes. I, um, you know, I love the expression uh, failure without defeat, yep. because I really think it captures, we all fail in life. It, you know, it's a common, uh, this misnomer that you're, you're perfect or that kids should ever expect to be perfect is ridiculous. So how do we, teach kids that you know failure and mistakes are a part of life and and you use those opportunities to grow and um and and pick yourself back up and try it again uh and the kids are i don't think the kids are ever the problem with that it's their parents that that um kind of fight us in a way of of what we're of some of the beliefs we're trying to teach I think you're exactly spot on. And one of the things that I talk about in my book is how do you help parents understand? Like when you're teaching the growth mindset, for example, when we talk, to, uh, talk kids about the growth mindset, we opened it up to parents. And we, we had uh, sessions with staff and parents that teach parents about the growth mindset. We had a book talk around Carol Dweck's book. And parents were, were just floored because they were like still holding on to things from when they were in school, right? mm -hmm. so they only know what they know, and so they're still operating off of this, you know, mindset from thirty years ago, forty years ago, when we know that the brain changes and that we can get smarter with effort and and persistence. And so, you know, how have you helped parents um, in that respect? I know it's 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 a challenge, but how do you help parents kind of, you know, understand that we are in the twenty first century? Yeah, it's multifaceted, obviously. The, the younger parents or the, the teaching in the younger grades, it's a lot easier than shifting that mindset when you get into high school. And I think a lot of it is when you start to departmentalize and put an overemphasis on content subject areas, it, it, it changes the whole dynamic of how kids interact with learning and how they interact with grades. And, you know, we could, I could talk all night about that. But the, 
We, we the, the whole notion of the video series was really to educate parents. We did a full-length documentary on implementing the first-year growth mindset. That was for parents. Um, we, we speak the language. We really work hard at developing a common language uh, sure. among and between all of our staffs in pre-K to 12 about what we're trying to accomplish. So, and we recognize that at each level, it's a different conversation. We just finished a high school series. I don't know if you see um, Mineola Grows. We just put up the high school series on emotional intelligence and I love it. The high school students wrote it and acted in the videos. That is awesome. Yeah. Um, having, them, um, having them engage and, and, and own this, that, that's just what we want from kids. We want kids to take the wheel to their car. Yeah. And it's um, at the high school level, we, you know, we spend a lot of time where I'm very fortunate. We have um, one of our administrators, Jen Machen, uh, it was worked with um, Mindset Works, which is Carol Dweck's offshoot in her company. And, and she's really an expert on growth mindset. So she's led a lot of our charge around um, brain science to our little ones and, um, the, the concerted effort that you're not born smart. Smart is through hard work and effort and anyone can grow their neurons. Yeah, yeah. Jen, Jen was in the videos, right? Yep, Jen is in the videos. She's written a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I wrote about you in my book, you're in, and you, you made sure that I, I you know, mentioned Jen and because it, I mean, you said that she was huge in, in getting this off the ground and making sure that it worked for all kids. Yeah, she, she's a driving force behind a lot of things we do. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate I get, I get to sit in the big chair, so I get a lot of credit for things that, that I shouldn't get credit for. So I'd like to make sure that people get uh, credit for what they do. She really is, um, she's a great person and she works her towel off for us. And, and I think she, um, all the work you see that's replicated around this country is, is a, the majority of it is through her mindset and how she brought us along. Well, and, and I know you're being modest, but you have to have a vision and you have to um, make sure that people understand why, you know, we're doing what we're doing, right? You know, in your book, you talk about, you know, people won't care what you do unless they know why you do it, right? Like that's mm -hmm. cynic. And so, yeah you having that vision and helping create other leaders because obviously you have a lot of people who are talented and you're saying go forth i mean use your talents right um and so i think that's that's um the mark of a great leader is not is being humble enough um to be able to say i don't have to be out in front in everything because i have other people who may be more effective or more knowledgeable in areas that i'm not yeah i think my 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 turning point in my leadership life was was when I didn't have to give every presentation. When the presentations that my principals and my central cabinet were giving were better, equal or, or better than the ones I could give. And we spoke the same language. It, it was like I, I cloned like 10 of me and they all look different. And, and that's really scaled all work here. And uh, I'm very proud of that. I think the, I joke around all the time and say, I'm an idea man. That's my job. The, the, the nuts and bolts of how we do it is not, is not what I do. 
Um, it drives my people crazy, but yeah, that's uh <laughs> yeah, when I was a principal, I, I I have great ideas, um, but my strength is not the nuts and the the bolts part of it. So I I I truly get it. At the beginning of uh, our show, you know, I did that little introduction, but I I have to be clear because I want to make sure people understand this. You know, Mike was the 2020 New York State Superintendent of the Year. That's huge. That is huge. Um, Thank you. There's some other uh, facts that I just want the, my audience to to know. Uh, your district is one of only 114 members of the nation nationwide um, in the League of Innovative Schools. Um, and this is interesting. You were the first district on Long Island to offer offer a full day pre-K. How did you pull that off? <laughs> um, well, now now it's a little easier because the the UPK money is flowing through, so so the the money is is less of a a, a factor. We created this. It's a little odd. We created this entry level position for teachers that start in our pre-K. And it's a reduced salary to enable to afford the program, but they have first rights at the next probationary job. Right. So I introduced this concept there's there's a level to start. Um, and when there was an overabundance of teachers, it sounded like a great idea. Now, now, now it's getting harder and harder to find teachers, but, um, and the, so that helped us afford it and and now we're able to the money flowing so it's not that big of a deal but um that really launched the, the growth mindset initiative because when we had half day for everyone right and we added all this time and we said well what are we going to do with this time um and and the resounding uh movement was well let's teach them about their brains let's teach them that they can learn anything and that they can do anything it's through hard work and let's teach them about their amygdala and their prefrontal cortex and what controls their emotions and their lizard brain. And you'd be amazed. I walk in, I was in a class today. I was in a second grade class and a lot of the kids recognize me from the videos. So it's uh, like, I'm the crazy uncle that goes and riles, <laughs> riles everybody up and, and then I leave. But the, um, they could tell you, they could tell you all about their brains. Yeah. They're sponges, the little ones in particular. There's such a, it's such a, um, a blessing to go into schools, especially if you're not having a great day as an adult, yeah. and just and just listen to our little ones. And and uh, uh, this there's so much hope for humanity when you um, when you make visits like that. Yeah, I, I love going into to in the pre-K and K and in, in first grade. And one of the things that we found which they taught us, our, 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 um, our primary grade teachers taught the rest of the school, was that our, our younger kids could pick up, like you said, they're sponges. They, they can learn much more than we thought they could. Like we started this, this you know, goal setting you know, focus, uh, and, and this was back in 2011 or 12, and we started to, you know, to say, we need to start setting goals, and we were at the staff meeting, and our upper grade teachers, you know, fourth and fifth grade, they were like, our kids are too young to be setting goals. And our kindergarten teachers raised their hand and they said, oh, contraire, basically. Mm -hmm. This is what we've been doing. We've been using these goal cards to have them set social emotional goals, have them set goals around their literacy skills, math skills. These are, you know, five, six years old. And so if, if they're able to do it, 
there's no no excuse along the continuum from you know pre-k all the way up through grades 12. Yeah, you know, again, it's that expectation and standard we have for kids. My favorite example is if you ever spoke to spoken to a five-year-old boy, odds are they could tell you ten dinosaurs, and they could they could tell you the names and they could show you the pictures and they can give you some characteristics about dinosaurs. We don't we don't teach dinosaurs. Yeah, dinosaurs aren't in anybody's curriculum. And I especially no, no. about dinosaurs yeah it's yeah they they can learn we just like you said we have to have expectations for them and and an interest so they have an interest in learning about them and they do so it's it's this um you know i'll get on a soapbox about choice and and giving kids choice about what they do and how they learn and uh, in all aspects so the content they learn the modality um how when and why I mean, uh, we, we launched a new version of high school here that I'm, I'm super excited about it. We're in our second year where there are no periods. All of the subjects are in the cloud. Kids come in every day and they set their schedule. They have teachers on the floor. They can do office hours. They could do seminars. There's a whole different way. That's amazing. I mean, that's that just, but think about, you know, you, you're saying that, I mean, you're, you're empowering students. That's what you're doing. I mean, you're, you're, you're connecting with them personally, but then you're connecting learning to their, their interests. And that's how we're going to get students to, to really find their, their, their passions is, is being able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm in a new kick. I kind of challenged my high school staff um, at convocation last week. I said, you know, in reality, a high school diploma is a useless piece of paper. Um, if you're going to college, fine, you need to pass that, you need to have it to move on to college. But if you're not going to college, you know, what is what what skill did we give you? What job are you now going to do that's better than a minimum wage at McDonald's? And and we have to start taking a deep look at how we allocate time and giving kids the skills and the and the agency to to do more. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a whole cottage industry of these boot camps and these certification courses that we should be providing. I, we shouldn't graduate a kid and then they have to go pay to learn something to make money. And, and along the way, giving them what I call kind of superpowers. And you, you've talked a little bit about yeah. it, growth mindset, like, you know, these these attributes like persistent and you know, self-control and curiosity and optimism, all those things, you know, thinking flexibly, all those things that because when they you know go out into the workforce they're going to need those they're, they're going to have so many different jobs from what i understand you know th that they're going to need to be able to be able to be flexible and 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 unlearn and relearn and all the other things that that you know for for us you know back when i was younger we didn't so much have those unless our parents taught them to us yeah yeah and even then it was a different you know the I, I think our adults in education really fail to see the point of view of a kid and the world they live in compared to when we grew up. Yeah. Because the amount of distractions and the amount of information and the amount of um, filtered, filtered information that gets to them 
no we, we we yeah. never we never had that it, it was as as much television as you watched it wasn't the same thing no. so and the, there's a whole different skill set that kids need to really um to do well in this world yeah. Yeah. um especially social media we we don't we don't teach a course about information literacy we really need to we really need to teach the skill to discern what's good information what's bad yeah. What's the point of view of the person telling you something and how do you decipher whether it's um, good information or not? Yeah, I totally agree. Hey, in your book, um, it's called The Design Thinking Entrepreneurial Visionary Planning Leader. And you you talk about this, this idea of ambiguity mm -hmm. and how basically the, the present day leader needs to be able to one be visionary and what you mean by that and I, I shouldn't say what you mean but what <laughs> I got from that is you need to be able to see around corners for you need you need to kind of see what's coming and sometimes we're we are so reactionary instead of really preparing for what's to come and although we can't see everything um we still should actually try to plan ahead to see kind of what could be coming am, am I off base no, I think it's almost like you know a little bit. You don't have to be a Notre Dameus to to get a lay of the land and and predict that the the speed and the pace of change is exponential, yeah. and the speed of change in a school is is almost a flat line. And how do you reconcile that the schools don't match? the trajectory and the curve of change, particularly in technology. Yeah. I mean, the, the example I use is if you graduated in 2020, a high school graduate, you started kindergarten the year the iPhone was created. Yeah, that's amazing. And during that time, I think it was 2012, mobile devices eclipsed desktop devices. Yeah. And, and I think it's a seminal point in history that we're, we miss that, you know, information is ubiquitous. Everybody has it. Yeah. And yeah. nobody asked the question, or some of us asked the question, well, how does that fact change the way we teach and learn? And, and, and the bigger question is, you know, what's the purpose of school? You know, it's not the same thing. I don't even know how you define an educated person. It used to be easy in the old days. Well, you were very learned and you read the classics and you knew okay. Shakespeare and you could do this and blah, blah, blah. This is every piece of information in the history of mankind is in here. Yeah, yeah. But we still teach content. Yeah. So we teach all of these things that the phone can tell us. And we we miss the... the um, the obvious is how do you apply knowledge to solve problems? Yeah. You know, and that's a, that used to be a gifted, uh, only for the gifted classes. You know, the, 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 um, the ability to apply what you just learned and solve a bigger problem or, or a local problem. Yeah. And I think that needs, to, every, that needs to be the shift. Exactly. Yep. Everybody needs that. Um, you talk about artificial intelligence and... You know, just within the last, what, six months to a year, you know, we've heard about this chat GBT. 
And I hear some, you know, people freaking out, like some teachers are, oh, no, we can't use that because kids will be cheating. And, and, and I'm like, we have to embrace it. We, we have to start to think about how do we use this new technology and embrace it? And if we're going to make mistakes, it's not going to be clean, but we have to, you know, put our heads together and say, this is here now. How are we going to use it effectively and help kids use it effectively? Yes. I'll give you my, I, I just previewed two products that, that I think are really cool the way they're using it. The first product is by a company called eSpark. And they, they ask kids a series of questions like um, pick a character, pick a setting, pick um, a special uh, skill. So I picked the dragon that spit water instead of fire and lived in outer space and is, you know, he was purple. And after I fill in these prompts, a story is written for me about my character. Right. And then it's a reading comprehension. So now how they, you, you read the story and they ask you questions that are rooted in the standards yeah. about the story that you just, basically you just created. Think about how cool that is for a kid. I love that because now I'm owning this. This I've helped create, mm -hmm. so now I'm engaged. So that you know, what's bad about that? There's no, it's it's how you use the technology. I have a, I have another company, whose long-term partners, Kidoyo. Right. They're creating a um an AI that's um that the teacher creates. So you like you the teacher will come in and say. I'm an English teacher. I'm teaching a lesson on um, persuasive essays. These are the four things I would like in the essay. Right. And then the, the kids upload their assignment to that specific chat GPT. Right. And it gives feedback. So now think about all this personalized feedback. So what the teacher did is she created a model essay that the technology is now going to grade against, you know, give feedback against that model. I think, and it's and it's safe because you're not going out to the internet to do this. Right. It's it's baked in the system, so it's a safe search. There's so many opportunities for for us to to grab onto this and just roll with it, right? You know, so like for teachers, teachers are overwhelmed. Think about how efficient that could be for teachers. Mm -hmm. You know, and then how. Yeah. In terms of grading and feedback, I mean, um, I, I think sometimes teachers will th feel like, oh, well, I'm going to be less important. No, you, you need to, you're more important because you need to make sure that they know how to use this, this in a way that's responsible. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's just like cell phones. They read all these articles about banning cell phones in schools. I mean, how ridiculous is that? To me, it's, it's so silly. You, you, know, you have to have these opportunities to... We educate. That's what we do. Teach, teach children the best way, the yeah. proper way. Give them the skills so they can um, use it correctly. And and that's our job. Yeah. yeah. Hey, um, you're from New York. Are you a, a sports fan? I am. Yes. Uh, Jets or Giants? Well, um, I'm a giant fan, but uh, both both of our teams are. Uh, <laughs> well, it's, it's very hard right now. <laughs> and I'm a Yankee fan, also. That doesn't help. 
Oh, okay. Well, I just was was wondering. I just I, I always hear the accent, and, my, and most of my teammates from from playing basketball in college were from from New York, um, and and so um, some were huge Jets fans, and some were Giants fans, and then you know some were Yankees, and some were Mets, and and so it was always a, a great great argument or great. Is that a, a Dodger hat? What do you have there? It's a Dodger hat. Yes. 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 That's a really a, a a New York team. I hate to tell you. But. <laughs> well, yep. Yeah. I mean, and. and I'm I'm a I'm a fake Dodger fan. Just uh, <laughs> my daughter went to school in California, and so I just to get I would get all of her stuff when she would come back. So it's all good. It's all good. Um, question about the the video series before I, I let you go. Um, when um, I was first introduced to it, I was introduced by one of my former teachers, and actually her book is right behind me. Her name is Tracy Hewlin, and she wrote a book with me, this book, but then she wrote uh, Building, Building Blocks for Social Emotional Learning. And she introduced me to Mineola Grows. And, and when she, she said, Brian, you have to watch this video series. I knew nothing about you at the time. And when I saw the video series, I was like, this is fascinating. This is really great. This is a much in alignment with what we did at my former school before I retired. Um, and you all just put it in a video series. And then I started to... Um, to research a little bit more. And then I realized you were the superintendent, but you were the person who was, you know, <laughs> one of the stars of the video series. I, I, I really feel like you set the tone and, and you you modeled uh, what you wanted from the rest of the system by, by being a part of that. I know you said that Jen um, did a lot of work and other people did a lot of work, but you putting yourself out there um, you know, showed your sense of humor, showed that you could, you know, laugh at yourself. You know, was that your original intent to be in the videos? So uh, before I forget, I got to give a really big shout out to my board of education because they, they uh, indulge me in all of my craziness. Um, <laughs> and one of the biggest things they did that, that I think is, um, it's a seminal, another seminal moment is, they agreed with me that everything should be open educational resource and that it's very important we share. So, you know, those, those videos aren't cheap to make and we could have just kept them internal, but, but I, I pushed and they agreed, let the world have them. So I met this young videographer right out of college and um, he said, well, if you can make a video about something, what would you do? I said, you know, one of my favorite lessons in, when I first started teaching was about longitude and latitude. And I do this whole thing about imagine if you could take a chainsaw and cut a globe in half. Right. And he said, that's wild. But why imagine? Why don't we just do it? And I said, well, I don't know. Can we? He said, sure we can. So we wrote a script together. His name is Steven Durante. Um, and that, that video, the Longitude and Latitude video, has 1.4 million views. It's okay. one of, it's the, when you look up Longitude and Latitude, it's one of the first videos that come up. Wow. And the success of that video is like, holy mackerel, we just did this for fun for, to, see, sure. to see if it helped kids. Right. Um, you know, how can we scale this? And, and the, the video series for the my, uh, Mineola grows, and we're modifying that webpage. We're, um, we're going to re-release it uh, probably by the end of the year because we're going to include our full curriculum that we do 
that complements the videos. So the video is part of our curriculum. So we're gonna release, we're gonna give everything uh, a full release pre-K to 12. So um, we, we believe in the work, we think it's important, we're proud of our work, so we wanna share it and we, we encourage people to use it. And um, I think that's kind of set the tone for what Mineola is about. Yeah. Hey, so so let me ask you this question, and and this is a, a serious question. I'm laughing because you were so good. Did you take acting lessons in in uh, <laughs> college? I mean, did you take theater? Because truly, the acting on there is very good. Your kids were on there; they were good. I think every good teacher is a frustrated actor. Yeah, so, you know, it's it's uh, <laughs> um, no, I I am I enjoy acting. I always enjoyed the theater. Um, yeah. It's very funny, my. Um, our high school musical last year was Xanadu Ooh. and the, and the director um, typecast me as Zeus. So I actually had to learn lines and, <laughs> and I did the play, I did the play live and I said, all right, I'm not doing that again. That's too much work. When you, when you can video it, you can make mistakes and, yeah. and uh, you get a blooper reel. But you're, you're doing some things that you, you're, you're innovative, you're, you're courageous. And you're also you're also unique in that you've been a superintendent for what 13, 14 years now? 15. I just thought of my 15th, yeah. And from what I understand, the average superintendent stays in their position maybe four years, five years, maybe if that. You know, um, what, yeah. what 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 has led to your longevity? Um I, I first of all, I, I, I lead a great community. It's a, um, it, it, it's filled with brilliant people, creative people. We're incredibly diverse for, for Nassau County mm -hmm. in, in terms of uh, bigger cities, not so much, but for our county, we're a diverse group and we celebrate that diversity. And um, I, I think the community appreciates the, um, the recognition that we get for being creative and how we teach and learn. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, we, we, we develop goals. We work on our goals. We, we, we don't, sometimes we swing and miss, but most of the time we, uh, we've called, we, um, we care about kids. We're a small community. I, I, you know, we probably 3000 kids. I can, I, I, if I, I probably know a thousand by name. Yeah probably 2000 by face, you know, you know, it's, it's, and we love what we do. So it's, it's, I'm very blessed. I'm very blessed in, in life and in work. And this is my final question um, for you. Where do you see education? Where do you see us in, in 10 years? Where do you see public education in 10 years? Do you see us um, continuing to embrace the change that's so rapidly you know, coming towards us? Or do you think, you know, we're going to hit a point where we're going to start losing people because we are losing people? Well, I'm going to preface it by saying, I hope I'm not right. That's, that's, yeah, I think we bash our profession so much. And it's nationally, we, 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 we do a disservice to the work the teachers do. And we don't hold them in high regard. And we're, we're losing people to the profession. Yeah. And there's going to be a void that technology will fill. And I see it happening already. 
it's and it's not preferable by any means it, it, you know it'll be multiple teachers online courses asynchronous coursework uh, many of which i believe in but not at the expense of live instruction instruction I, think, yeah. I mean the relationship yeah. is so huge i mean how many times do you hear about somebody saying they were successful because some teacher believed in them, you know? And so that, that's huge. You know, we're, we're a fairly um, affluent county. So we pay very well. Our and and we, we are now struggling to find people. Um, used to be able to steal from New York City. New York City has is, is, um, raised the, their salaries and their benefit package. So it's not so easy anymore. The suburbs, there's not a flight to the suburbs. Yeah. So it's, it's uh, but with that morbid uh, background, uh, you know, technology has a place to make kids' lives easier, teachers' lives easier, parents' lives easier. Right. And we need to, we need to figure that out together so we can we can engage kids in, in learning. Ultimately, we want kids to love to learn. Yep, that, that's the goal. Well, Mike, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. At the end of each one of my podcasts, I um, use this, this old African proverb that I used at my dad's funeral in like three years ago. And it goes, as I go, I am wearing you. And what it's about is like all the people who along my journey um, that I've learned from, you know, when you see Brian Butler, you're not seeing Brian Butler, you're seeing all the people who poured into him or who he's learned from. And so, you know, throughout my podcast, I have had some great guests and just being able to connect, you know, with you and be able to write about your your district and you in the book. Um, I am now wearing Mike Nagler and Mineola. Uh, I appreciate it. I love the sentiment of that. You know, we stand on the shoulders of those before us. So, yeah. Um, I appreciate it. I appreciate the work you do. Um, I appreciate you highlighting our district. Um, uh, we do have a lot of great people here to do great work. And, and I'm always proud to, to showcase that work. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for coming on. The book comes out next month. We'll, we'll sure to, to get you a copy. All right. And I appreciate you coming on. And, you know, thanks for being on A Conversation with Brian. Thank you. Subscribe to A Conversation with Brian on my YouTube channel and Spotify.